Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler, and we are here in the podcast studios with Mark Elwood, who's a contributing editor and a podcast producer. Hello, Mark. Hello. We've got Ryan Craggs back. He's an editor for the site, and he knows lots of things about the points, which is our topic. Good afternoon. We've got Dave Grossman, who's here from milestalk.com. Hi, Dave. Hello. And you're actually in the studio, which is rare for us with guests. Yeah, it's so great to be here. It's awesome. And on the Skype, we've got Tiffany Funk from One Mile at a Time. So, hi, Tiffany. Hi. My name's Brad Rickman. I'm the digital director at Traveler. And our topic of the week, this is a part two podcast, a sequel podcast. We're actually doing something now that we're calling Podcast on Request. <laughs> you can request a podcast. <laughs> Just keep this, it clean, people. Yeah. Keep it clean. This was inspired by at Moonlight Halo on Twitter who listened to part one of our points podcast, which we did, I don't know, what is that, about a month ago, mm -hmm. and said, you know, you guys did a really great job of kind of covering some of the basics of acquiring points, but you didn't tell me what I'm supposed to do next. And there's a lot of complicated things that I'm trying to figure out. So we had to come back for part two. There's another part two coming up. Those of you who listen to the Asia podcast, we are going to have a part two also requested on Twitter. So that's why we, when we say to you, please tweet at us, we really do listen. And when we get great suggestions from people, we love responding. I want to just say, as far as I'm concerned, this is like Star Wars. The first one was Star Wars. We are now on The Empire Strikes Back, which was the best film. <laughs> it was the better. So <laughs> this is going to be even better than no the question. first one. So just to recap a couple of things from part one that we've established, and everybody should go back and listen to that if you haven't. We covered basic facts. There are stem cell points and airline-specific points. That's an important thing to understand. And I say this as the person who is most naive in this room about all of this. Second thing, have a goal. Important to know why you're acquiring points and what you want to use them for. Third thing, get smart about networks, about the, uh, the alliances and the overseas partners that your domestic airlines have. Fourth thing, Get to know the airlines that fly from your area. Those are obviously the ones that are going to be most uh, easiest for you to travel on. And then the last thing that I took away from the last one, Chase Sapphire Reserve, or preferred, but the reserve is the way to go. Anything I missed? No, that was amazing. That was a fantastic recap. Okay. That was pretty good. So now to Moonlight Halo's question, once you've accumulated your points, what do you do next? What is the best way to start thinking about how to spend them? Why doesn't one of you guys start? You are the like deep dive points people. You make us look like points part timers. So we, if you have, say, you know, say we have, say someone has a hundred thousand points, they've acquired them. What do they do with them? Maybe Tiffany, you start us off. And what would you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is part of what I loved about the podcast that you guys had before is that you talked so much about having a goal and having an idea of what you wanted to use your miles and points for, because that's going to be really critical here. Um, we all love the Chase Sapphire Reserve, but if you want to go to Tahiti, those are possibly the worst points you could possibly have. So having 100,000 of them doesn't help you. <laughs> Why is that? Because, and this is where, Ryan, how you talked about last time, looking at what airlines fly to your destination. If you're going to Tahiti from North America, you can fly Air France or Air Tahiti Nui which is lovely. You can technically transfer those Chase Ultimate Rewards points to Air France, but do they have space? What's the pricing? There's fuel surcharges. You'd be much better using American miles or Delta miles. So little things like that can get very complicated if you haven't started with a goal. So assuming that everyone has a great goal and it's tangible, then I like to look, and Dave, I, you might have a more systematic approach to this, but I like to look at first what airlines fly to my destination 
And I will go to the Wikipedia page even and just say, oh, I want to go to Prague. What airlines fly there? And I'll see, okay, well, British Airways flies there, Czech Airways flies there, Air Berlin, you know, whatever it is. And then go back and knowing the partnerships that my various airlines have, start digging in that way into the award charts, which sounds very complicated. (laughs) One of the things that Moonlight Halo was actually asking, um, where do you do that? how do I tell if my miles are worth more on another airline instead of the original? Sometimes I can't even find award availability to check. Okay. Well, so to take a step back on how you can find who's flying to your destination, because I actually want to take one step behind that after and talk about if you're looking for an economy or a first or business class redemption, because that's going to change my strategy. And I really try and do more of the first and business class stuff. Because for me, I'm, I'm looking for the aspirational redemptions where I can get 10 cents a mile, basically, you know, flying a suite that I would never pay for. But there's plenty of reason to do the economy redemptions also if you can get a good enough value for your points, much more than two cents per point value. But before even getting to the Wikipedia page to find out who goes to that airport, you can actually just use Google Flights, google.com slash flights, and put in your origin city and your destination city and look who's flying there. Take special note of who flies the nonstop routes because that's probably your preference, but you can also connect. And then you can actually do a filter and you can sort by the three alliances. So you can sort by One World or Star Alliance or Sky Team. And then based on who you have your miles with, you can figure out what's going to be the best way or if you have one of the transferable currencies, I believe you called it stem cell yeah. currencies. Um, if there's an, if so, is it better to use your bank of miles, or is it better to take from your transferable bank of miles? And can I say, Dave? I think I would frame this and say, if I had one piece of advice for people when they think about spending their miles, it is focus on premium. So, for example, the airlines want you to spend your miles on things like fancy drinks in the lounge. That is, they're like the junk food in a, they're like in the in the supermarket, like the impulse aisle. No, 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 no. Don't spend miles on that. No, no, no. Don't spend them on economy tickets. Don't think you can easily upgrade economy tickets. That's much, much harder than it used to be. That's great that, advice. That sense of like, I'll buy an economy ticket and just whack some miles on there. A lot of the time, you can't even do that. So you're really better off thinking, I've never flown business class or I only fly it once a year. I'll make that my miles goal you're going to get a lot more, A, you're going to feel like a pimp, but B, you're going to get a really better sense of value and value if you skew premium. Would you agree, Ryan? Yeah, well, actually, I was going to ask Dave a question, too, about that because you mentioned two cents per point, right? Yep. So what 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 is special about the two cents per point? Value? So, yeah, no, great question. So going back to the very beginning of earning miles and points, two cents a point is what I can get for spending on a credit card by doing nothing. You could get a, a city double cash card, earn 2% cash back on everything, and have money in your pocket. And so if you're not going to spend your miles at more than that, there's really no point in even playing. Right? And you gotta that was that effort. Got it, yeah. So if you're not going to be getting value back that exceeds that 2%, then you that's, shouldn't that's even That's my perspective on it. I mean, obviously, if you have the Chase Reserve card and you play that right, you're going to get better than 2% even just using the Chase Portal Right, because you're gonna, you know, if you're earning your travel and, and dining at three times points, yeah, and then you spend it even at the portal. I mean, I like to transfer my points, but a lot of beginners will use that portal. It's one point five. All of those points you're now earning four and a half percent. So it's pretty easy. But if you're not going to do it that way, if you're just going to earn American miles and you're going to spend those American miles, and it's a four hundred dollar ticket, you know, and you're and you're spending more than twenty thousand miles, I don't think you got a good deal. 
Got it. So you got to know a little bit of math. You There's do, a little bit of math. Lo- no, but if yeah. you just set your baseline at two times, yeah, just go from there. You know, if if you're looking at a redemption, let's say you're you're looking to go to London, and the the price of the flight is seven hundred dollars, and it's going to cost you eighty thousand miles round trip or hundred thousand miles round trip. Um, there's no point, right? See, that's a great point. I think it's also worth remembering that miles don't exist in a vacuum. So there aren't these magic planes full of miles-only tickets. There are people who paid for tickets on whatever plane you're looking at. So do open to browser windows and check what the price of a ticket you're looking at is, because that's really the baseline of, like, should I use miles at all? So, again, we've got this great... Absolutely. You're like, it's, remember the price... Think about the destination and think about premiumness if you can, because it's going to kind of set you up. So another question or point to address here is simply even backing up a little bit further. When should I look? Because I think, you know, there's a difference there, too, because of how you're redeeming your points. So let's say I wanted to go to Tahiti in March, right? When should I actually be looking for that flight? Because I think there's a difference, too in between paying in cash and then paying in points and trying to transfer that way. Right. Tiffany, do you want to talk to that? Yes. I love talking about when you (laughs) should find award flights. So the best availability for award travel is 10 months out or within 10 days of departure, sometimes even within 10 hours of departure, which is so weird compared to purchasing tickets. But we like to think about that. If you think about an airplane, those seats are perishable inventory. If that seat goes out empty, the airline earns zero dollars for it. So as it gets right, you know, right when the schedule opens, airline management is so complex, they don't want to just make the whole plane full of award seats. There used to be a bit of a myth that if you stayed up until midnight on the day that the schedule opened and booked them right away, you could get whatever you want. And maybe before computers, that was more likely. But nowadays, things are a bit tighter. So generally, 10 Nine months out, great availability. There's not going to be every seat on every plane. If you're talking premium cabins, you might not see more than two seats on certain carriers. It gets very specific and is probably not worth stressing about for most people. There's either going to be space or there's not. And then as you get closer and airlines start to have a better handle on what seats they're going to sell, what's going to go out empty, you'll see more award inventory go into the system in many cases. Within two weeks, when those tickets would be very expensive and you'd see a business class ticket, you know, JFK London, that might be, you know, eight, nine thousand dollars because it's a last minute walk up ticket to leave on Tuesday. You might also see it available for, you know, fifty seven thousand five hundred miles as a one way because the seat's going out empty and they'd rather take some money from their partner airlines for it or do that bit of an accounting exercise in house in order to clear out the balance sheets a little bit. Yeah, I feel like an exception of that in the last year or two years is Delta. I feel like they've been trying to condition people that you can't do that. Um, and I'll look at where flight loads are. There's a lot of space up front and it's a day before, it's 10 hours before, it's five hours before. The whole next day, even if the loads are like that, they're not doing that. But other airlines definitely do. Most airlines definitely do. If they have the space, why not let you if you're flexible? Yeah, I think one thing to consider too is what airlines are fundamentally as a business because one, they're businesses and they're really businesses of scale. And that's a thing to take into consideration because we're talking about reward flights or award flights, but it's not just for 
rewarding you for being a good customer. I mean, that's we're we're sort it's of what being, it should be. It's what it should be, it's right? Not. And it, exactly, and that that's the point I'm making here, where we're talking about you want to book ten months out or you want to book ten days in. That's not really convenient for most people. They're not thinking in that regard. But it's because the airline would rather sell those tickets, as Tiffany was talking about, as opposed yeah. to, as she said, just booking up an entire plane filled with people on awards. Yeah, Tiffany, I'm curious, you personally, how much luck do you still have with the 330-day-out wow. attempt? You know, <laughs> I honestly don't really mess with it. You know, whether it's booking my own travel or booking things for clients, we generally say if you have a trip you want to take, it's much better to wait until the return window would be open anyway because, you know, things change. And I like to encourage people to diversify where they have their miles. And I don't want to lock into saying, hey, let's use our American miles to fly Qantas to, to Australia. And then you go to book a return. And the best option would also be using American miles. But now you've spent them. So you don't have <laughs> enough. So <laughs> I like to wait until everything is open. Maybe you're missing a week or two. It's, you know, there's so few cases now where it's really valuable to book right when the window opens. That's like advanced expert, very specific yeah. cases. That's I think for the, the average That consumer. is for the return of the Jedi version of <laughs> no, this I, podcast. I, I, and like, I actually yes. totally agree with Tiffany. And, and the funny thing is the way I would book stuff for myself versus for someone else is totally different. For instance, I booked a first class ticket from JFK to Sydney on Qantas in first class because it's in the winter and there was a seat available. I have no idea how I'm getting home yet, and it really doesn't matter to me. I'll find a way. But if it was for a friend, I would never say, go ahead and book a one-way, and we'll figure it out later. Yeah. Exactly. You... And I've booked numerous one-way tickets for you know myself and my family at all times of year, knowing that by the time we're ready to come home, There'll there be something. will be something. <laughs> I love it. it I'm picturing all of you. I'm going to Cambodia on a one-way ticket. But, that's <laughs> really but are you, when you do something like that, and this is slightly outside the bounds, but like, are you just on a phone or are you just kind of constantly watching something or do you just have a sense of when that return deal is going to appear? Like, are you sort of a nervous? I know you guys are in the game, <laughs> so you're like athletes with it, you know, but what does that look like? What does the process of finding it look like? I feel like there's always going to be a way. It might wind up being much more expensive than I wanted it to be. You know, it might even be using the ultimate rewards portal on a flight for one one point five times. It might be doing a cash ticket one way. I mean, not from Australia it wouldn't be, but <laughs> but but I'm, but I'd be comfortable doing that. You know, domestically. Is it too advanced to talk about something like Expert Flyer? No, I think Expert Flyer is actually a great tool for people to have, um, especially people who want to travel as a family to where, you know, there's four travelers, which is a little bit trickier for award travel. And given the understanding that I think we've established, you want to use your miles and get a good value. So Expert Flyer can be great. You can book maybe a routing with an extra connection. You can book something that maybe the time isn't quite right. And they make it really easy for you to set alerts for award space. Yeah. You can get an email or a text to your phone that will say, hey you know, two more seats just opened up. Or I had one today where I was helping someone, they booked a flight, they're coming back from Bangkok. So it was Bangkok, Hong Kong, Los Angeles. Their final destination is Salt Lake. When we booked the award ticket, the only option was to do Los Angeles, Phoenix, Salt Lake in economy, which no one wants to do after a trans-Pacific flight. <sighs> so we booked the ticket in February. We set the expert flyer alert. I got a text just before I got on the podcast with you guys saying, hey, there's space now on LA, Salt Lake in first class. You called American. It takes a minute and a half to change the flight. $4 refund because there's one fewer airport and you're done. <laughs> I was going to say, I think there's something interesting. I wonder, you guys would know better than I sort of the nuances of this, but I'm always fascinated as a Brit. It staggers me when I use my Delta Virgin points 
if I fly out of JFK, the fees are, you know, the price of an expensive dinner. If I book the same seat on a plane out of Heathrow, I might as well just pay for a ticket because the fees are so high. I know that there are ways of playing around with where you originate if you're really at a, at a sort of premium level of pro flying like you guys internationally. But are there any domestic U.S. airports that sting the locals so much that frequent flying hacking is really, really hard to leverage? I don't think domestically, but I'll speak to what you just mentioned, which is really important, I think, for people to know, especially if you're trying to book one-way awards, which is that First of all, Delta charges absolutely punishing fees if you're departing from the UK on a one-way flight. And they, they do that I've actually yeah, from all of Europe. So if you do a round trip, you don't get that punishment. And if you do a one-way to Europe, you don't get punished. If you do one-way back, you do. But then the second part of it, which is actually beyond Delta, so it's actually two parts of the fees, is the um, passenger duty on a flight from the UK in a premium cabin. And that's a huge surcharge that it's all of the airlines charge. It's I mean, hundreds. hundreds. It, it is hundreds. But Delta, if you try to do a one-way, <laughs> you'll see that if you compare it against other airlines, it's going to be more. And in fact, they recently tried just about two weeks ago Delta added those same surcharges on flights originating from the United States on their partner Virgin Atlantic, and it was punishing. We're talking a thousand dollars on top of, you know, hundred and what is it, Tiffany? One hundred and forty thousand miles round trip. At a minimum, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> on top of that, they were now levying a thousand dollars surcharge, which was absolutely just, I mean, a big flip of the bird to their customers mm -hmm. because it was, you know, they they call it a fuel surcharge. But if you follow the oil market, exactly. there should right. not be yeah, any fuel surcharges no on anything by anyone. It's right. just a way to jam in a fee and call it a fee, but it's a Given we know that if we have any British listeners, they're all thinking, damn, out of Heathrow, I'm really screwed. For our domestic listeners, are there any U.S. airports that are sort of red flags in the frequent flying world? That's something I don't know. Well, and I guess I feel like we need to clarify this a little bit. So there are... I don't want to just blame Heathrow for this. It's not an airport-specific thing, right? That's the entire United Kingdom. It's the same problem if you fly out of, out of Edinburgh or anywhere else. And again, that's only if you're originating in the UK. If you were connecting, you don't pay that. So people who are like, oh, I don't want to fly British Airways or Virgin Atlantic because of the high fees. Well, it's a little different. You can avoid some of those fees by originating elsewhere, provided, like uh, Dave said, you're on a round trip or depending on what miles you're using. In the U.S., our fees are, again, they're set at a national level. So on a domestic ticket, you probably, no one notices this. No one looks at their fare breakdown. You do pay higher fees if you're flying into, like, Washington Dulles because they have to pay for that very expensive highway. And you pay for that with every ticket in or out. And you pay that. for the people who are there hunting turkeys, you know, because they've got all of that land. Uh, but generally, it's within a couple of dollars. And on award tickets, you're generally only paying $5, $10, just your TSA fees. The rest are subsidized. They can be a little bit higher flying out of Canada, which is something to keep an eye out, but it's not horrific. What you do run into problems with in the domestic market is the positioning flights. Despite what the carriers would have you believe, domestic award space is embarrassing. Whether it's United, Delta, American, I live in San Diego. If I want a flight, obviously there's not a lot of international flights out of San Diego. We have three if you're rounding generously. And so I have to connect in Los Angeles or San Francisco to go anywhere. And there is hardly ever award space on those Los Angeles to San Diego or return flights. So I have to plan on Is that because driving. you're – sorry to pause you, but is that because you're connecting? 
do people who are originating there get first priority with them? On award space, no. All of award space isn't in the U.S. We don't have married segments, so some carriers will say, "Hey, if you're flying us transatlantic, we'll give you more space connecting on when it comes to award inventory." The U.S. carriers don't do that. They don't need to give away award seats on domestic flights right now. Flights are very full. Oil is cheap, and they're selling the seats. So where it used to be, even like two or three years ago, I could get space an award seat, San Diego, Los Angeles, any day of the week, any time of day, any flight. Now it's maybe one every other day. Mm -hmm. So I can't count on being able to include that in my award ticket. I have to plan on buying a ticket to LA, driving, taking the train. And there are probably hundreds of cities across the country where that's the case. You need to plan on getting to one of the dozen major or so international airports but I, I, and consider you know, it great if you can include it in your award ticket, but plan on having to get there separately. See, that's, I think that's a really good way of thinking. We're lucky that we live in New York, so we live by a real, real hub airport. But it's mm-hmm. easy to forget that maybe your entire trip won't be on points, but it's still amazing if you manage to get a bit of it. So the idea that it's all or nothing is a little intimidating. You're like, no, maybe I just put this together and I get to one of those hubs where I can fly business instead of flying economy if I just fly to that hub is a great reminder that if you can't get from your origin, that doesn't mm-hmm. stop you from getting something out, you know. Well, and even in New York, you could save tens of thousands of miles by going to Newark, which a lot of New Yorkers don't want to do. <laughs> uh, so if you do, that, You've done it, right? <laughs> I have. It's I was in Newark a few horrifying. weeks ago, so I understand why you're reticent. But if it saves you, you know, 50,000 miles versus what you were going to book out of JFK. Oh, I feel like I would pay $50,000 just <laughs> to, to, to avoid Newark. <laughs> I would too. One little tip on this, that it's not going to work every time or even close to every time. But if you're doing a business class award booking, it's worth checking point. So if you were going, say, from San Diego and you were going, uh, you knew you were going to have to go through L.A., maybe you were going L.A. to Tokyo, it's worth checking the um, availability first San Diego to L.A. and checking both business and economy. And then you know that there's a business class available from Los Angeles to Tokyo, but you find economy on the first segment, you can call the airline, depends on the airline, sometimes you can do it online, sometimes you have to call, and you can ask for a voluntary downgrade on your business class award to economy on the first segment. I don't think anyone's gonna care for the hour flight from San Diego to be an economy if you can yeah. get that award, and then you don't have to do anything. And I mean, obviously, as Tiffany said, the award availability's gotten so, so bad on the, the US airlines, you're probably not gonna get the saver in economy, but you might. My question with that is, are there any tricks then to finding domestic award flights because I think you know there's a little difference between I guess functionality in flying in the US and then more of the aspirational thing of like flying internationally and yeah, that's a great point from what you the way that Ryan talks about using points you had a very good way of thinking about them as a way to go and see your family for free which is the perfect incentive I yeah I agree with you I, I just I, I mean I'm just gonna say I think it's embarrassing how bad the award availability has gotten on American and Delta and United at saver rates Um, Mm -hmm. And two points on that. One is that American used to be my favorite, and they used to have tons of award availability. And since they merged with U.S. Airways and the the former CEO of U.S. Airways took over, it's become absolutely abysmal. In fact, for a while, I go JFK to LAX a lot, and I used to be able to get last-minute business class uh, tickets on that route. Really, if if I was flexible two days out, there's always a flight. Even that's gone away. I mean, you can find – it's so rare. I can look at months at a time not see one – seat available. And then the the other thing is um, with Delta, 
they keep trying to change their system towards really revenue-based redemption, and they're doing all they can so that you can't get more than a penny a mile out of them. They're the only one that's gone that bad so far, but it's it's hard. It's really hard domestically. And so I find that because I like to do the premium travel, for me, it's all about the international travel. And so, yeah, that whole thing about visiting your family with your miles, you're going to spend a lot more miles than you'd pay with cash. And Delta, I'm going to call them out one more time, and I think <laughs> Tiffany will support me on this one. They don't have an award chart anymore. So a lot of people don't realize that, you know, if you're looking at United Flights, there's a saver, and then there's the double, and there might not be any of it available unless you're a United uh, credit card holder, but at least you know there's the two levels. Delta is up to, what is it, is it nine levels? <laughs> I've, I've actually lost yeah, track. They went to five levels. <laughs> there's nothing published, and uh, they just want you to take them at their word, and good luck to you getting more than a penny a mile, especially if, if it's domestic. If you've ever been in a business meeting and someone went, trust me, just sign this, That's you know you're not supposed to sign this. So whenever someone goes, take me my word, I always think, you know, maybe you could just explain this a little bit. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if that's just so, me. <laughs> Ryan, to what you're saying about tips and tricks or things for finding that award space domestically, what Dave is saying, there's not a lot of it in many cases. It's a little embarrassing or the legacy carrier should be embarrassed. There are a couple tangible things you can do. Like he was saying, if you have the United Mileage Plus credit card, you get extra award availability. So it's not a trick. It's just you want to log into your United account and what you see is what you get. But if you have that credit card, you'll get more. So all of you who have the Chase Sapphire Reserve, those miles can transfer to United. So it could make sense to also get the United credit card if you're going to be doing United flights and you want to redeem for economy, although I personally think you don't. But you could, and then that would be a good way to find value. Similarly, like JetBlue, if you have their Plus card, they give you a 10% rebate on the points that you use. And you know, with JetBlue, if the seat's available for sale, you can use X amount of points for it. So again, it's not like you're getting access to extra availability, but you can have less costly availability if you want to invest a little bit in picking up one of the co-branded cards for your primary airline. Right. I will just note, though, that United Credit Card will only give you expanded economy availability. I'd get the card in a second if it gave you expanded business availability, but, but it doesn't. I was going to say, I think Tiffany made a great point when we think about economy or domestic redemptions, because we've been focusing on the premium stuff. But we've talked about there used to be so many legacy carriers. There are now three, one in each of the alliances, United and Star Alliance, Delta and Sky Team, and American in One World. But there are other airlines in America that are, have great frequent flyer programs, most of which are quite restrictive domestically or within the Caribbean and Mexico. So someone like JetBlue or Southwest, they could be great options for you if you're really looking at domestic redemptions because they do tend to be nicer to you because they don't risk being too nice and then you use you know 20,000 miles to get a business class ticket to Tokyo because they don't fly there. And it's very hard with their partnerships to really make that work. Would you think that's fair? Well, the pro and the con with that is that JetBlue and Southwest both charge you for the ticket according to what the price of the ticket is. So when there's a ton of demand, you're not going to get any bargain. I, you know, I've seen Southwest flights that are, you know, domestic coach short hop for forty thousand miles just because, you know, the price of the ticket. So it's you can't game it, but it's if you have the miles, you can. Tra you know, I definitely do sometimes transfer my Chase points to Southwest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you I, guys I mean, are making me feel bad. I don't even bad. like flying like, Southwest, but I'll do it sometimes when it's the only option. But you guys are making me feel bad because I feel like those points are free. In a sense, right? We want free flights to either the West Coast or to Europe. And they feel free. I guess you guys are sort of making an argument about the return on the investment. But honestly, again, I'll be naive guy. They feel free to me 
because we just did ordinary stuff. Like we've taken to buying all of our groceries with our Delta card. You know, the Amex that does it. <laughs> okay. Wait, so, oh, that was a bit of shaming. Yes. That's, that's, um, we should talk. Um, <laughs> we got to get you on a better card for that. Therapy. Right. No kidding. Okay. So, but we're talking about, it's like, this goes back to what Dave was saying earlier. And I think what Gary talked about last time as well, this value for your points. So your Southwest points, they have a fixed value. You're never really getting a good deal or a bad deal. At the, the lowest fare class, you're getting a fixed 1.39 cents per point. Best case, you can get like 2.3 cents per point if you're using Southwest points. I know it's it's ridiculously nerdy, but if you're thinking about like, why wouldn't you just use a cash back card at that point? You know, So unless you're earning Southwest points where you're earning multiple points for every dollar that you spend to where you're gaining the other side of the equation, then they're not a good deal. They're not a bad deal. It's just like if you're, you know, my aunt constantly uses her Southwest card at the grocery store, similar to your Delta card at the grocery store. And it's like, I don't understand. You're only getting one Southwest point, which is worth 1.39 cents. Why would you not use a 2% cash back card at that point and then just buy your Southwest ticket other than just the psychological sense of, oh, this is free. Like it's not actually free. There's an opportunity cost there of 0.61 cents. Well, I, I mean, I guess I don't know. The, 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 this is a complicated question, but part of the answer is because then I'm not going to get into or I'm not going to get Thank the you. priority board, the sky priority boarding, right? Like I'm not going to get all of those things that accrue to the status that comes with the additional miles. Right? So there's also a, so I was gonna say, there is yeah. also, I said this in the, other, the last podcast, a friend of mine who worked for an airline said, you know, there is a very gendered classic reaction to points that women look at them as something that they say, I, I need 100,000 points for this flight. They watch till it's 100,000, spend it happily. They're like looking for this. And men just sit on them like a kind of big kind of pile of stuff. Which is exactly it is what, nice to look at which the balance. Is exactly. <laughs> I, I log onto my balance and I'm like, I have 1.5 million miles. And that's stupid because they're wasted money. But it, I, I don't think there's anything wrong, but I think it's human nature where you're like, I want the status, I want those things. I mean, that's what we're playing into. And I buy into it entirely. So you are not alone. So, Ryan, I feel like you had a, a solution to the looking for the alliance partners to try and find better bargains for the points. You know, one of the questions that Moonlight Halo asked was, if I'm booking a flight with another airline in the alliance using miles, how do I see what's available? Who do I book it through? Like, what's the practicality of that? Well, it depends on who you're flying with. I mean, Tiffany and Dave can speak to this better than, than I could, certainly, I think, on this. But it's also about knowing how the reward programs work for the various different airlines and who their partnerships are with. So, for example, it's always going to cost me more miles on American to fly in the U.S., than it would in British Airways, or most of the time in British if Airways. If you're using American miles. Right. And I think that's the part that where people get confused. So my number one rule, which I say over and over and over whenever I do an event, you always use the rules of the program you have miles with. So if you have American miles, you're paying Americans prices, you're using Americans award chart, you're calling American to book your ticket, your email with your confirmation will come from American, and when you show up at the airport, you can be flying British Airways, Qatar, Cathay Pacific, it doesn't matter you follow Americans' rules. So it doesn't matter how much British Airways would charge for a flight unless you have, and you're smart like Ryan, you have in advance acquired British Airways miles, in which case you deal with British Airways. And how so do you we do have that? A real, okay, so we have a really great beginner's guide on one mile at a time where we go through some of this and we talk about all the different alliances because, well, I have all of the Star Alliance partners memorized. No one really should. So you can go and look at that. 
So when you're looking again, and let's just keep using that Chase Reserve example, you can transfer your miles to United or to Singapore, which are both in Star Alliance. When you go to book your ticket, you can use united.com and see what's available. And you can fly to Europe on Lufthansa, on Lot, on Swiss, on you know any number of their partners. You don't have to fly United. You'll still use United Miles. You'll pay United for your ticket. And United will show me all those flights? Yep. United.com. United shows almost all of their partners on their website. There's a couple where we get into nuances of what they don't show and when, but I think for the general user... Just knowing that you can book most partners on united.com is a great starting point to sort of start to see what's possible. And all you have to do, it's so simple. You just have to check the box for search award flights. So a question, and then it starts showing you combinations. So a question with that, I guess, specific to the alliances, because we're talking about these big alliances. Is there, say, one airline within each alliance that you would recommend people searching with? So, for example, like... It's a great question. If, yeah. if I'm... I actually have two. Okay, that's so, great. So, so if you have a pen, I'm also... I'm going to put a blog post on Miles Talk after this podcast with a lot of the stuff that, at least, that I'm talking about um, with links, but... So if you know where you have your airlines, I'm just going to make the assumption for this that you have an, you know, you're on American, Delta, or United, right? And I'm going to give you two sites to check for each of them, and that's as far as I'm going to go right now. So if you have American Miles, you're on One World is the alliance, and I would check the British Airways site first, and then the Qantas website. Those both have really good availability for uh, for One World. American is is getting more, but there's a lot of airlines that they don't cover still. And just to jump in on Dave, um, just yeah. because I think people are intimidated by this, on both the British Airways site and the Qantas site, you have to register and create an account, but it doesn't yeah. cost you anything. Right. And then you can search their award availability and whatever they have access to, American has access to as well. Yeah, absolutely. If something comes up, Tiffany's right, we should make this clear. So let's say you use BritishAirways.com to find an award. And let's say, for example, it's on Japan Airlines, which is a partner of American that you cannot book on the American site. It will not come up on the American site in the search. But you find it on BritishAirways.com. You call American and you say, I want to book this exact flight. Feed it to the agent. I found this site. It's flight number, you know, JL9, and it leaves at this time. And I found there's a seat, you know, I saw on British Airways. Can you, can you book it for me? If they say no, hang up, call back. I mean, if, if it fails over and over, <laughs> no it might joke. be. Yeah, no, it's, it's really true. If, if, if you fail four times, it might be that the British Airways site had what we call phantom availability and it wasn't really available. But most of the time, if you see it there, American can book it for you and just... Try and, again. And that's, you can I just say, I think that's a great, I think also remember, some people ha are having good days, some people are having bad days. And I always think whenever you call customer service, whenever I call the premium line for Delta, if I get someone who seems like they're having not such a good day, I say thanks so much and I just call back. So remember, <laughs> yeah. if you don't get what <laughs> you always want, be polite. you say thank you so much, I'm so sorry, I've got to run to a meeting, and then you just call back. Well, I was going to say, also, I feel like when you're calling customer service for an airline and you're actually being polite to them, that's probably not what they get deal with 90% of the time. <laughs> exactly. So you're like so you're already, already ahead of the curve because I know I've had a flight change on me where I was just very polite to the gate agent and they ended up changing my flight and not charging me the fees because they just said, well, well, you're, you're no, really nice. You're yeah, well. exactly. <laughs> no, thank you for not yelling at me and ruining my day. Because it's not their fault. Exactly. Yeah. Um, sorry, you were saying, you were saying, let's oh, talk. Yeah. So, so, we we're, so we're through one of three. So, so if you if you fly Delta, then that's the Sky Team. And I would check the Delta website and the Air France website. And then United, United, like Tiffany said, covers just about everything. If you want to be really advanced, you could double check with the Air Canada website. But United's solid. Uh, Tiffany, do you want to add to that? Yeah. So I want to say, now that you know where to search, the other big trick for searching award space is to know that all these websites are programmed 
by people who have certain ideas as to what is convenient. And <laughs> you might be open to being more creative. So you guys are in New York. Would you be willing to fly New York, Chicago, Amsterdam? If then you could fly business class for the fewest number of miles available versus just flying sure, business cool. New class York. the whole way. Yeah. Pardon me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, even and let's say it was economy or Chicago, you probably still line. Do it. You get to use the lounge. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So the websites are free, are not programmed to encourage that connection because you're backtracking. Does that make sense? Yes. So if you put in New York, Amsterdam, they might come back and say, sorry, you know, sorry, Brad, nothing available. But if you say, okay, well, is there anything from Chicago to Amsterdam? Sure. Not a problem. There's in fact, two seats in business class. Okay. Is there space from New York to Chicago? Yep. That's fine. And then you can just call the airline and say, Hey, I want these two flights and their computers will put it together for you in a way that the website often won't. And I love that you just said calling because we, we talked a little bit about this. I think we are so in our lives, we are we defer to email and text in every possible hate way. Calling. And I hate yet calling too. dealing with... <laughs> oh, I love it. I know you I do. love it. I, I would never guess that listening to you on a podcast. Really? I <laughs> love it. I love it. And, you know, and the thing is, when I called, I had a big problem with Delta and I called and I was very nice to the Diamond Line and they not only got me onto a... After love Delta. how he dropped in the diamond, right? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Hello. I fly just for a little living. bit of just, you know. That's yeah. why I'm always Skyping in. I am um, diamond. No, but, but when I called, the lovely lady not only put me on a quicker flight after the big meltdown at spring break, but she got me upgraded again on a partner airline, which I wasn't entitled to because I called and I was nice. And I think the, the things with like frequent flyer, for example, it's very counterintuitive to think I should call. But if in doubt, calling really helps in these scenarios. And I think we forget you can call because we're so <laughs> like, I should just type this in. So again, pick up the phone and ask. And again, you might get a, an agent who's like, I have no idea. Then just call back and be like, wait till you have someone who, who is really knowledgeable and it could help. I have a question about how important do you guys think being flexible is with how you're willing to fly and where, you, where it's like the to... most it's like <laughs> the most important thing with trying to hack frequent flyer miles. Yeah, that, that I crushes I, my soul because I almost <laughs> never can do that. Well, and so what I would say, and this is again why Brad, you need to be using a different credit card for your groceries. Oh my God, yeah. That that um, shame on there's you. There's a continuum. We're going to talk after this podcast about that. Just... Shame on you. I'm this sorry. is the worst podcast I can't ever. Help it. I, it's, <laughs> I use that yeah. card too. I use other cards, but I use that card too, so it's fine. My wife can't listen to this one, man. Carry the card. Don't use it. Carry the card. That's don't it. Use it. That's it. So the more flexible you are, the less you'll pay. On the flip side, at a certain price point, the airlines will accommodate any lack of flexibility that you have. So I tell people all the time, you know, in, in the frequent flyer world, we talk about people who want to go to Australia for Christmas with a family of foreign business class as this ridiculous unicorn thing that's not actually a thing. Like no one is doing that in, you know, in the game that Dave and I play, right? No, that's you're going <laughs> in the winter, right? Mm -hmm. You're going some other time. Yep. But if you're a family and that's what you really want to do, like that is fine. Delta will accommodate you. You can fly New York, L.A., Sydney, return, business class, four seats sitting next to each other. You just need to plan on spending 600,000 miles per person versus, Dave, what are you paying for your trip to Australia round trip? Um, well, the one way was 110,000 miles in first class. Wow. Right. First so class. If you and were that's New York to L.A. and then L.A. to Sydney. And, and yeah, what, what airline was that on? Qantas. Um, okay. Business class, it would be, you know, 
less. It'd be 80,000. Yeah. I was to say, just for perspective, like how much would a flight, uh, a round trip would be about what? 10,000 in first class, a little, probably a little bit more. Oh, more Quanta, the, I mean, what's the one Quanta's like? first class, nice. New York to Sydney. Yeah. I mean, it would have to be over $10,000. So I did last Christmas to New Year's, I got a bit of a unicorn and I went first class on uh, Japan Airlines, New York to Tokyo return, all direct, um, all first class. And that ticket would have been 29,000 miles um, and, and uh, $29,000, right. And, and I paid, uh, I can't even remember now, but it was like 100, I think it was 160,000 miles. So the equivalent of $1,600 for a $29,000 ticket. So that was... That was a pretty nice score. That must have felt so yeah. good. But I was also using very advanced techniques to scout out that availability for, I think, probably about three weeks until it all aligned. I was originally going maybe through Chicago, and eventually everything opened up. So, But I was also flexible on my dates. But I would also, can I confess something? I would also encourage people. I'm a big fan of thinking about how much is your time worth. So, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes... When I've booked award tickets, and I don't tend to book that many, to be honest, um, as those who listen to the first podcast will understand, I treat point, I treat my miles slightly differently. But when I've done big trips, I often call up services like the, the things that like you guys, the experts like you, who offer the chance to pay a hundred or two hundred bucks to have someone get me spending the least. And it is wonderfully empowering because you still feel great. You are if you if you amortize it. So. Anyone listening, don't be afraid. Even I, who am supposed to be even slightly knowledgeable about this, would defer <laughs> to these guys and be like, you know what? For 200 bucks, make it rain. Can you? I didn't know we could do that. Can oh, we yeah. do that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100% wow. it's really not. I mean, I actually think that all of the services are underpriced for what they are. You yes. know, one, $200. I tremendously think that. For, yeah, for the amount of time <laughs> that, that you need to spend to find it and the amount of expertise you need to have to do it. Um, if you had, you know, a lawyer or someone working for that much an hour, it'd be insane. Um, so it's tremendously, tremendously valuable if you have the points. Speaking to like the flexibility with all this, I, I think it's important to keep in mind, you know, if you're saying I want to go to Paris from April 14th to the 19th and those are my dates. Like if you aim small, the chances are you miss small or as the case may be, you end up paying a lot more in terms of the points. Yep. If you aim big. So give yourself a little bit bigger window there, have some flexibility on either end of it, then you, the chances are you're going to hit something there. Yeah, and keep in mind, like, you know, a Friday and a Sunday are going to be really tough days to get award tickets. Everyone wants to leave after work on a Friday night and go, you know, for a long weekend or for the week. So if you're limited to that, it's going to be tough to use miles, you know, at least in the in the best possible way. Right. And it's sacrilege for the hardcore among us. But I feel very strongly that it is OK to use more points. If you can only travel during your kid's spring break schedule and you want to leave Friday after school and you want to come back, you know, a week Saturday evening, that is fine. You just need to be more aggressive about how you earn points so that you have enough to do the things that you want to do. Basically, you choose what side of the equation you want to do the hoop jumping. You know, if you want you either need to be a little bit more aggressive about how you accumulate the points or be a little bit more careful with how you spend them. But there's so many opportunities that really everybody can get better use out of their points and have better travel experiences than most people are currently enjoying. Do you guys feel like there are any specific sweet spots in terms of any particular programs or locations, you know, any specific routes? Because I I can think of a couple that I know, but I think it would be better for you guys to share some of the more advanced ones where it's sort of a known thing that this is a really good value aside from just saying, oh, well, you know, this route, you could book a suite 
on an airplane for 200,000 points. I don't think that's you know what most people are trying to do, but if there are any ones that you think are particularly good. I mean, you can get pretty advanced. Um, Tiffany, do you have some favorites? I'll let you yeah, do some I favorites. I'll do some actually, favorites. Yeah, let me do one that I actually just think is really accessible to people that goes under the radar. Um, it's not necessarily super aspirational. But Air Canada's Aeroplan program is a transfer partner of American Express membership rewards. So if you have the Amex Platinum, which a lot of people I know have been using since the 80s, or the Business <laughs> Platinum, or the Amex Everyday Preferred, which is the card that Brad should be using for his groceries, or you know any of these other membership rewards earning cards, you can book a round trip business class ticket to Europe for 110,000 miles, which is fewer than Delta, United, or American would charge if you're using their currency. It's 110,000 miles. It allows a stopover, which is a connection of more than 24 hours. So you could fly New York, London, spend a week, London, Rome, spend a week, Rome, Paris, spend a week, back to New York, 110,000 miles, which is great. And yeah, it's a deal, and it's super easy. It's easy for people to book. You don't have to be an advanced travel hacker to do something like that. Yeah, if you're going by yourself, it's more complicated if you need to add someone that's not a family member. But Korean Air, you can fly to Hawaii Love Korea. Yeah. <laughs> um, at, at a discount. But actually, one that I think is really impressive. So when we go back to talking about the transferable currencies and why these are so cool. You know, as much as it was amazing that I flew on JL for 160000 in first class, there's actually better deals if you're looking at these Asian carriers. And um, I'm going to give a shout out to a site that I have absolutely no affiliation with, but I do like a lot. It's called awardhacker.com. And you can put it in origin to destination, and it will tell you what is the cheapest actual airlines frequent flyer program to use that with. For an example, on ANA, All Nippon Airways, 85,000 miles in their program will fly you in business class from America to Tokyo. Um, I believe you can get a stopover as well on that. Like and anywhere in America? Yeah, I mean, I, you I have did, to, I did so, it from here. Well, it would have to yeah. be from, from one of their hub cities in America because, you know, now, well, I guess you could probably, if, if it's Star Alliance, you could probably add in. Um, I think that price is them. only if you're flying ANA, but maybe we it can might edit not include yeah, it. Yeah, might not. I think it's, it's ANA metal. It might only. not include Star Alliance, but let's say more. I think it's like ninety. Where just on ANA, it's like eighty five. It might be. It's, yeah, it's yeah. that's one difference. of the times I'd probably call them because I wouldn't be sure because I'm I'm usually flying from a hub city, so uh, less of an expert on on adding that on. But I I know that if you were going say from New York, um, you know, on the nonstop, and they had availability, which is always the caveat, you always got to check the availability first. But that would be 85,000 miles round trip. So we're talking 42,500 miles each way. And that would be 80,000 each way on, say, American. So it's a huge deal. And you could transfer those points from uh, American Express membership rewards or from Starwood Preferred Guest. So, you know, it's worth if you if you just have something in mind and you're looking to see what you might want to accumulate, um, you could use Award Hacker, see what the best programs are. But then the big caveat I would have is check the availability before you start accumulating the miles and get a sense for the time of year that you want to go. Are there going to be any seats at all? Because the last thing that you want to do is start saving and saving and saving and saving. And then you get ready to book and you realize that for an entire month, there's not a single seat available. And that might be a pattern with a particular partner. And I feel like this is also a great time for me to say something I was saving to the end, but I don't want to forget, which is that which, which is that miles only depreciate over time. So, you know, kind of, you know, in, in the in the frequent flyer mile blogosphere, there's a phrase called earn them and burn them. So earn them, but then spend them, because if you've been following for years, I mean, devaluation is a term that we all shudder 
uh, when we hear because it's it's another airline that has changed their award charts and made things more expensive and more expensive and more expensive. And if you went back over time, I mean, it's the opposite of of you know having your money in the bank. They literally do lose money over time. So set your sights on the but don't spend so much time accumulating that you forget to spend them. Or think like a woman. Yeah. As, <laughs> well, as, and that's my, hard. I like my, to see my balance. You know, but. As, here, my, as my, as my, as my, like five million airline miles. So I'm yeah. maybe not like a good example. <laughs> no, but that. as my again, I don't mean to be the one who's gendered. It was literally my friend who used to work for an airline said it is that simple. It sounds horribly cliche. But, you know, women are much better at spending their miles and men are better at earning them or better at sitting on them. So, in other words, let out your inner lady and be like, I just want to <laughs> spend these miles. And what, how long does it also take to transfer the miles when you have that plan set up? You know, it's like, I'm looking at this. I have membership rewards points or I have ultimate rewards. I'm looking right now. I see the flight that I have, but it's with an airline. It's not just directly yeah. booking with that portal. How long is it going to take me to actually transfer those and still be able to get my ticket? Because, you know, I might be fearing, oh, well, this ticket's listed on that site. But what if it's not there by the time I points transfer? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so for me, Google is your friend. You can always Google how long does it take for X partner to transfer to Y airline, and make sure oh, that I it's a current. Is there, <laughs> make sure it's a current post. Or Tiffany can just tell you off the top of her head. Right. So ultimate rewards points transfer instantly to their partners, with very few exceptions. So you don't really have to worry about that. For American Express, some are instant, like Air Canada that we were talking about is instant. But ANA, like Dave was talking about and why it's, I love that he said check availability, it can take two to three days. So if you're going to transfer to ANA to take advantage of one of those really good mileage deals, you need to make sure that not only is there availability on your primary, like your first choice date, but that there's a backup plan so you don't end up with your miles getting stuck. Yeah, I had so, that happen to me last yeah. last summer when I was flying to Tokyo and I got exactly that deal of flying on 85,000 miles on yep. ANA in business. But I, tr I was looking, there was one seat available. I Oof. managed to find it. But then even when I was going through the booking process on ANA, it got disconnected halfway through. Oh. The seat that was there- Did it disappear? It oh. disappeared. Ugh. So it was, yeah, exactly. That was the exact <laughs> feeling the that worst. I had. So I was sitting there freaking out at work thinking I'm booking this flight two weeks out. I found the perfect unicorn of what I, really I was looking for, and then all of a sudden it went. Poof, just my because. heart literally aches hearing this. <laughs> it's everyone's fear. You can't see. You can't but see our faces. Thing, but, I, yeah. I called. I called customer service, and they just said, "Oh, yeah, it just it's on hold right now. It's someone put it on hold." I was like, "Oh, that's me." They're like, "Oh yeah, we see that." So they just released it again, and I got it booked five minutes later. And I will never go through that process again. And I will make sure my internet connection is like plugged in. When I'm doing it. Right. If you write into pointspros.com and say, hey, will you book this ANA award for me for 85,000 miles? I will politely decline and suggest that you do it yourself for those reasons, because if it requires a certain amount of flexibility and nimbleness to where, OK, we were trying to book it. It took three days. The space isn't available on Tuesday. Can you go Wednesday? And at that point, like I'm just anyone can decide that on their own. It's, there's no magic at that point. It's just the grit and determination of, oh, now we have to book this. Right. There are some airlines, by the way, that will put a flight on hold for you while you're transferring the miles. Um, there are other ones that won't. And I'm not even going to get into which ones don't, because they're, especially with the Asian carriers, there are some that don't. But then if you call, sometimes they will. Uh, <laughs> so, so it's always worth, you know, if, the, if you don't see any way to hold it online, um, call up and, and just say, look, I'm trying to transfer over some points. You've already either asked Tiffany or you've Googled to see how long it's going to take <laughs> and um, and then just call and see, you know, hey, I know it's going to take a couple of days. Can you put this on hold for me so I don't have to have heart attacks, you know, every hour again, for the next 48 hours? Can I reiterate what would that have in common with what we said earlier? Remember to call. Don't assume that the computer is all knowing. 
call up and ask because actually what Ryan got caught out with was I would have assumed the same thing but if you call it's like oh it's me who's got it it, it looks like it's gone so call have good internet <laughs> don't use the Delta American <laughs> Express credit card I use it don't worry there are reasons and you, my, just my, will shame you. Groceries. Right. my my favorite takeaway from all of this is just <laughs> hire one of you guys to do all of this because that's feeling like the best way to do it that feels like a decent place to close. Thanks, you guys. This was terrific. You guys are both terrific. And that is so informative to our listeners and, and to me. I'm going to go cut up my credit card now. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Keep it. Keep it. Just don't. Oh, right. I need to be able to log in um, to that terrible airline. Thanks to all of you for listening. Moonglow Halo, I hope that we have answered your questions. And if not, <laughs> we've got a part three. three. Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. Without the Ewoks. Yes. The- Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com. We are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube. And CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. And please do tweet at us. You need no better example than today itself to suggest what you can get from that, your own podcast. Send us feedback and review us on iTunes. How can the people find you, Dave? Where are you? I am at milestalk.com, and I'd love for you guys to come check the blog and interact with me because I love talking about this absolutely (laughs) (laughs) 24-7. Tiffany? Uh, You can find us on onemileatatime.com if you need help with your points. It's pointspros.com or on Twitter, Instagram, at tebfunk. Mark? I am at Mark J. Elwood with two L's. Ryan? I am on Twitter at Ryan R. Craig's because someone else has my full name parked. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) The worst. And I'm at Bradrick. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.